Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, listeners, to part four of Keith Daniels' tale, One Last Round, The Road Home. I won't keep you lovelies waiting, but... I wanted to first send out my thank yous to my latest chamomile patron supporter, and that lovely person is Featherbed. Welcome mates to the Tale Telling family, love the name, and thanks for supporting this podcast. Now, part three, we heard Lily's tale, and the barkeeper Craig holding Leo hostage. Little did they know how quickly events would turn after this point. Now turn the lights down, the sound up, and let's listen to something different. Talk! Craig demanded. Okay, okay, let's stay calm. Chris pleaded, throwing up his hands. What do you want to know? Craig laughed a hollow, desperate sound. (laughs) I already know that I can't trust you all, he said still pressing the revolver against Leo's temple. I heard you talking about it while I was out in the hall. I listened. Thought you had all gone crazy, but... (sighs) He shuddered, his eyes darting from the three friends at the table to the front door, and back to them. But whatever's going on here, it's all because of you, isn't it? Leo started talking. Please, man. Just let me go. I won't... Shut up! Craig shouted. It's not your turn yet. Not yet. We don't know what's going on. We're just as in the dark about this as you are. She's right, said Devon. Whatever's going on, whatever this thing is, that's been following us, we didn't even know it was all connected until we came here tonight. It's true, said Chris. Honest to God, that's true. Craig stared long and hard at them, glancing sideways for a second at Leo. You know what it means, don't you? He said, his voice wavering. It's marked you, all of you. You said it yourself. He said, pointing at Devon, that you felt like it was following you. I don't know if that's true, Devon said, taking a step forward. It's just something I said. But... Lily said. I felt it too. She looked at Craig. I won't lie to you. Craig looked at Chris. Me too, he said. But that doesn't mean... Yes, it does, Craig said, using his free hand to wipe the sweat off his forehead. It means that I'm next. That I'll go the way of that Royston girl you talked about. What better thing to connect it all to me? If not for the three of you to be here, all together at my pub, all on the same night, and for me to hear it all. Craig, you have to understand, Devon said. That wasn't our intention. We didn't even know about what had happened to each other. Tonight was just for us to... He trailed off, a look of realization on his face. Craig stared at him, nodding. Now you get it. There were tears forming in the corners of his eyes. What's he talking about? Chris said to the others. Dev, 
What's he talking about? Lily's breath caught in her throat. She stared around the empty bar once more, her eyes widening. Why did we meet up here tonight? She said in almost a whisper. Devon covered his mouth with his hands. Chris, however, still seemed confused. What? He said. How long, Devon said, have we been here? Why did we come here? He turned around to look at Chris, whose face was growing pale. Please tell me you know, Chris, because all I can remember is us sitting around that goddamn table, waiting for Craig to bring us around. I don't even know how I got here. Do you? Chris opened his mouth, but no sound came out. He closed it again. But why? Lily asked. Why here? Why now? All of that shit happened miles away from here. Why would it leave the university? I think, Craig said, that your friend here can fill in the gaps. He gave Leo a piercing stare. Can't you? Leo started shaking. His lips trembled. His breath started coming in quick, sharp gasps. I told you. He spat. That we should have stopped. I said it was a bad idea. It could have passed if you didn't insist on keeping that fucking sharing circle going. What do you mean? Chris asked. What do you mean it could have passed? I thought I lost it. Leah responded. I thought it gave up or fell behind. Maybe I did shrug it off, but you... He said, spitting. You idiots insisted on drawing it in with your stories. This is your fault, not mine. I was trying to get away. It's you that it wants. At that moment, a black inky shadow swirled over Leo's skin like the color change of an octopus. Craig tore away from him, wincing. Leo shuddered as the shadows subsided and the bartender ran to the side of the others still pointing the gun at Leo. We can just go, Devon said. We can just leave, can't we? They all looked to the door. Shadows were swirling and gliding past the windows, undiscernible. Nobody took a step towards the door. Sit, Craig said to Leo. Sit and talk. Slowly, Leo took a chair in front of the others. Devon, Chris, Lily and Craig took the four seats at the table, all facing him. Craig kept the tight grip on his revolver, and none of the others told him to put it away. The air in the bar pulsed. Leo glared at them all, the whites of his eyes piercing through the dim light of the room. And a darkness took hold of his voice. He started to speak. I did nothing. To deserve this. I wasn't eavesdropping on anybody, or sneaking into forbidden places, or putting anybody else in danger. I was just walking home from class. That's it. It was late. It was cold. And I was in a rush. So I cut across the soccer field. The one behind Baxter Hall. I was texting while I walked. And I dropped my phone and stopped to pick it up. And everything just 
just went off. There was this sound like an explosion or fireworks. I don't know how to describe it. It was just really damn loud, deafening. I looked up and the air was full of glass and bricks and papers and wood. I ducked and covered my head with my hood. I don't know how I didn't get pummeled with it all, but there were pieces of everything hitting the ground all around me. First thing that went through my head was, there must have been some sort of bombing or terrorist attack or something. But once the air had settled, there were no gunshots or screaming or shouting or anything. So I looked up and saw that there was this hole in the side of the library near the roof. There were two or three windows that had collapsed, taking part of the wall and a bit of the roof with it. And it was so strange, you know? Because after that, everything just went quiet. No alarms or sirens or anything. And I just... left. I kept my head down and I just kept on walking. Off the field and down the sidewalk that led to my apartment. It was about a ten minute walk. And I was rushing, but it wasn't long before. I could hear something behind me. Turning back, there was somebody walking the same direction as me, but at a distance. I couldn't see them because it was so damn dark. But from what I could hear, they didn't seem to be wearing anything on their feet. And they were big, freakishly big, way taller than me. I thought they must be drunk, because it seemed like they were kind of swaying back and forth when they walked. Kind of clumsy looking, I guess. I figured I should cross the street just to be on the safe side. After crossing, I kept going for another minute, maybe, and glanced back again. They had crossed the street too, and were still coming in my direction. Fair enough, I thought. Don't jump to conclusions. So I crossed back to the other side again. They crossed as well. I started picking up the pace because I didn't want to get attacked or mugged, or whatever by some big drunk idiot, but I'd be lying if I said I don't know something was off about it all. No matter how fast I walked, it seemed like they were still getting closer. It didn't make sense because they seemed to still be walking in that slow, shuffling pace. As I kept glancing back though, they definitely appeared closer. I could hear their footfalls more loudly than before. I swear, I could see their eyes even from that distance. I made a quick decision. My apartment was about five minutes ahead, but I had parked my car at a friend's place the night before, which was just around the corner. I could go there instead, and if nobody was home, I'd just hop in the car and be rid of this freak. I sent a quick text as I was approaching the house, but the lights were off and I got no reply. So I got into the car and sped off down the street, just as my follower was rounding the corner behind me. Looking in the rearview mirror, I saw what I must have tried to convince myself must have been some sort of illusion or my mind playing tricks on me. I realize now why. It looked like they were getting closer without picking up the pace. The figure seemed to have grown. They appeared taller than before. It stood between my car and a street lamp, which silhouetted it from behind. I took the next possible turn and thought, fuck this, and headed towards the highway. 
I was out of town and speeding along the highway in under five minutes. I didn't really know where I was going at first and then thought, coming here to my parents' place might be a good idea. I could crash for a couple of days, wait to hear back from my friends on campus and head back. It was going to be a long, dark drive, so I put the radio on, hoping to distract myself. That was no use. Couldn't seem to pick anything up but static, so I shut it off again. There weren't many cars on the road. It was getting pretty late. So I only passed a couple of people headed in the other direction. I was driving pretty damn fast, but I didn't approach anybody from behind. I must have been the only one headed towards the coast. I had been driving for about an hour when I noticed another vehicle in my rearview mirror. Right away, a tightness came in my stomach. Anxiety crept up upon me as I thought back to the figure who had been shambling behind me. However, I was driving well over 100 kilometers per hour and the likelihood of somebody catching up to me after a full hour of me driving at this speed or faster. Without seeing which direction I'd headed after leaving town, well, it seemed pretty unlikely to say the least. The glow of the headlights would only blink into view every minute or so. Tiny specks of light in the dark. I took this to mean that they were pretty far behind me, far enough that they were being obstructed from my view by the hills and curves of the highway, and that they must have turned out onto the main route from a side road. Maybe somebody who had been out hunting or cutting wood on one of the many dirt roads that branched off into the woods and was now heading home to steal comb for a late supper. A few more minutes passed and I calmed down again. I decided to try the radio again, and was surprised to find that none of the usual stations could be picked up. I rolled the dial around several times, but there seemed to be nothing but static anywhere. I shut it off again, and focused on the dark road ahead. There was still a long ways to go before hitting the coast. It wasn't long before I noticed it again out of the corner of my eye. A pair of headlights pretty far behind me were twinkling in my rearview mirror, Glancing up, it appeared that they were closer than before. The instances where the curves of the hills cut them off from view were fewer and shorter than before. They were slowly, but certainly, catching up to me. I laid on the gas a little harder and watched the speedometer climb from 120 to 140 kilometers per hour. That, I thought, ought to do it. I told myself again it was probably just a local, but if it was, they wouldn't go that much over the speed limit. Time would tell. Sure enough, after another five minutes, the headlights faded from my sight in my rear view, and I breathed a sigh of relief. No need to get so worked up, I thought. But then the lights came back, and in a minute, they were even closer than before. They were gaining on me. I gave it to the gas, bringing up the car to 150, but I knew the old piece of crap couldn't do much more than that. And looking at the fuel, I realized I hadn't even filled the tank before hitting the highway. I could usually get home on half a tank of gas, which was about where the needle was sitting. But I never drove the engine this hard for this long. I wasn't even sure I'd make it all the way there. And you know as well as me that there aren't any gas stops until you reach Seal Cove. And it was around then, as I glanced again in the rearview mirror, that something else occurred to me. It took me a few moments for the thought to solidify. 
I couldn't see the vehicle behind me. It was too dark. I hadn't bothered to try and figure out before now whether it was a car, truck, SUV, whatever. But now I could tell that the headlights were way too high off the road. From what I could tell, they were coming from a point way too far above the pavement. Too high for a roof rack or semi even. And they were moving, kind of bouncing up and down. Up and down as it slowly closed in on my car from behind. Now, with it no more than 20 or so car lengths behind me, I could see the pitch black shadow of something huge, lumbering, chasing. They weren't lights, no. They were eyes. Two enormous, glowing, round eyes. I almost went rolling off the road and into the woods, but managed somehow to control myself. My hands were shaking like wild, so I gripped the wheel tighter. I pressed down on the gas as hard as I could, screaming, Come on! Come on, you fucker! I watched desperately as the speedometer crept up to 150 then, 160 then, climbed at a snail pace towards 165. I was driving in the middle of the road now. Otherwise, I don't think I would have been able to make the turns. The highway gets worse out here near the ocean, and one good pothole would have sent me flying. So I focused as hard as I could on just staying near the center line and dodging the bad spots as they flew out of the darkness into my headlights. The engine didn't sound good. The thing seemed to be having trouble keeping pace with me now. At the very least, it wasn't getting closer, but just keeping at the same distance. I could hear its footfalls booming like thunder out there in the night behind me. Then, from around a turn up ahead, a pair of headlights appeared. I started laying on the horn, flicking my lights in and out of high beam. It didn't work. They kept on coming. I hit the emergency lights, hoping that they would pull over. No luck. In the last second, I managed to steer the car off to the right, giving them room to pass by. And as they flew past, I could see. It was a police cruiser. I saw the patrol lights flick on just as I whipped past, flashing red and blue, illuminating the thing in the rearview mirror. I saw a head shaped like a man's head, but its only features were those two giant glowing eyes and a mouth that was hanging open like a gash. Toothless, dripping, several rope-like tongues hung from the mouth, whipping through the air as it hurled itself along the highway on long, wiry limbs. All else was indescribable. Just a mass of hanging, stretching, flailing flesh, splotched and stained, bigger than a house. A second later, there was a sound like a hurricane, and the cruiser was sent flying into the air. The patrol light still flashed as it crashed into the treetops and disappeared. Glancing down, I could see the needle on the fuel gauge had already dropped. There was no way I was going to make it home before I ran out of gas. My only hope was to lose the thing, to throw it off somehow before the tank went empty, and then go to the rest of the way on foot. Judging by what I'd just seen, I didn't have much faith in those odds. The collision with the police cruiser hadn't slowed the thing down for more than a second or two. It was fast on my tail again, just far enough behind that it wasn't being illuminated by my rear lights. I could feel the vibrations of its footballs through the steering wheel. 
I had an idea. Maybe I could get somebody to drive and meet me and then, assuming I could get away from the thing, I could keep moving fast enough that it would lose my sense, so to speak. Making sure that I was on a straight stretch of road, I reached down into the passenger seat and grabbed my phone, hitting dial on my parents' home number. It went through. I couldn't hear a thing, though. Just a roar of static. I shouted into the receiver, hoping desperately that they could hear me. But I knew I was grasping. I tried a few other numbers quickly, but it was just as bad. Nobody knew where I was. It was useless. I passed a huge boulder on the right side of the road. Its surface was spray-painted with initials and dates. I knew I was about 20 minutes away on a normal day. Glancing at the quickly dropping gas, there was one last hope that came to mind. It was a stretch, but I wasn't about to just give in. Up ahead, in another five kilometers or so, there was the two-lane bridge that crossed the gorge at Dewitt's Brook. There was a left turn to get onto the bridge coming this way, a sharp left. If I came in fast enough, and was able to make the turn in time, maybe, just maybe, it would fall into the gorge. This was it. This was my only hope. It was pretty damn hopeless, but it was all I had. The gas was quickly running out. In order for this crazy plan to work, I was going to have to slow down. If I tried to hit the bridge at 160 kilometers per hour, I'd go crashing through the rail and become a permanent fixture in the side of the gorge. I had to push ahead to gain some distance, then slow down at the last possible second before hitting the turn. There was almost no time to spare. The bridge was quickly approaching up ahead, giving everything I put the throttle to the floor. The engine roared, sputtered, and the speedometer crawled. I was passing 165, almost at 170, just about 175. Come on! I yelled. Come on! The thing was falling behind, its eyes growing dimmer in the blackness behind. I could hear a rumbling, growling as it raced to keep up. The shadow of it in my rearview mirror rippled and shifted. The night drew in. I was nearly hitting 180 kilometers per hour when I could see my headlights illuminate the reflective bridge sign. It was quickly approaching, and I hoped beyond hope that the thing didn't know my plan. I hovered my left foot over the brake, still laying on the gas, waiting for just the right moment. It was getting closer, closer, closer. About 50 feet off, I released the gas and hit the brakes. The car swerved, tires screeching and smoking as I flew towards the bridge. I could feel the ground shaking as the thing quickly gained on me. could see its eyes glaring brighter in my rearview mirror, in the red glow of my brake lights. I caught a quick glimpse of a maw that opened sideways like a cave of flesh and fangs, quivering, tendril-like tongues stretched towards the car. I yanked the wheel left and felt the car roll. For a moment, I was on two wheels, nearly sideways. With the throttle released, there was the briefest moment where everything went impossibly quiet. The next, I felt the impact of the car roof against the rail of the bridge, the bounce back and the tires slamming back onto pavement, the car swerving and sliding across the bridge. Everything was crashing. Twisting, screeching. 
There was a stench of exhaust, smoke, and rot. And then somehow, I don't know how, I managed to swing the car back on track and hit the gas. I was speeding across the bridge, car trembling and rattling, windows shattered, but alive. Looking back, I could see nothing but the partially destroyed rail of the bridge and the road beyond. That thing was nowhere to be seen. I shouted, cried out in joy. I had done it. It was unbelievable. And as I continued on across the bridge, I thought that maybe, just maybe, the thing was actually dead. I was going to make it home. Soon, I started to notice just how dark it was outside. I couldn't see any stars or the light of the moon. My headlights were somehow not busted, but I could hardly make out the bridge in front of me as I drove along. And why, I wondered, was I still on the bridge? The gorge at George Brook can't be more than a couple of hundred feet wide. I'd been crossing the bridge for nearly a minute now. Two minutes. Five minutes. The low fuel light came on. And in ten minutes, the engine died. The headlights went out. Everything went silent. I just kind of sat there for a while, staring ahead into darkness. Behind darkness. Everything was darkness. I pulled out my phone and used it like a flashlight. I opened the door to step out onto the bridge and tried walking. But when I shined my light out to step down, there was nothing there. Nothing but dark. My phone slipped through my sweaty, shaky grip. And I watched it fall. It kept falling. Falling. Rolling over slowly in its descent. It never died out. Really just grew dimmer and dimmer in the distance. Eventually, it faded so much that my eyes were hurting. So I closed the car door and leaned back in my seat and just closed my eyes. Impossibly, the radio came to life. At first, it sounded a long way off, like an echo almost. Faint static that grew slowly louder and louder still. After a while, it crackled into music, and I could hear somebody singing. A guitar. A song I could remember. A voice I knew I'd heard before, one that I recognized. And I opened my eyes. And nothing. The next thing I know, I'm sitting here with you all, hearing Devin on the radio, and we're talking. And... And that's it. <sighs> Everyone stared at Leo. Then what? Chris asked. Leo made a grim face. He started to cry. Jesus! Craig said, getting up from his chair. He pulled his phone from his pocket, dialed a number and waited. The others could hear the loud hiss of static. Before he hung up and chucked it onto the table, he walked behind the bar, bent, and pulled out a dark green bottle from somewhere under the counter. The cork squeaked as he pulled it out, and Craig sniffed it before pouring himself a generous sample, downing it immediately, and pouring another. He brought the bottle back to the table, and set it down. 
I never said goodbye to my daughter before I left the house. He said. Slowly, Devon got up and turned towards the front door. He started walking over, stepping lightly as though trying to not make any noise. Dev, wait, said Chris. Do you really think that's a good idea? He shook his head. I have to look. I have to know. The floorboards creaked as Devon walked across the empty room, reaching out a hand towards the door handle. Deep rumblings of something that sounded like thunder could be heard outside. He twisted the handle and held it in his hand tightly, hesitating. The others held their breath. Leo stopped crying and fell silent with the rest. Devon pulled open the door. From behind, the others could see nothing but darkness. Unwavering, unpenetrable darkness. Nobody said a word as the ringing of the hanging bell faded into silence once more. At the threshold, Devon looked out into the inky blackness and took a long, deep breath. All around was shadow and the deep, low rumbling that came sometimes quiet, sometimes louder. A murmuring, humming drone that filled the heavy air like the slow, distant threat of a storm directly ahead, far off but certain. Devon could see two round, glaring, glowing guys. He stepped back and closed the door. It's coming. Mates, I hope you enjoyed part four of One Last Round. This is the first time I've used the voice mod tool, live that is. I'd appreciate any feedback regarding the tone or quality. Let me know if you've enjoyed or didn't enjoy the voice modulation for Leo whilst he was possessed. You guys and gals know me by now. Whatever feedback I receive, I take on board and implement it immediately. I listen to my listeners. Speaking of listeners, I want to thank my amazing Patreon supporters whose donations all fly back into production, keeping this show flying high, ad-free, and always improving. First up are my O90 Titans, and the first off the cab is Maya. Maya, you slingshot this podcast into space. The kind of space that is full of stars, planets, and wondrous beings. You keep this podcast interesting with your support. And by that, I mean your support allows me to try something different in every episode. I'm able to buy new sounds, new music, plugins, you name it. Anything to improve the show is all thanks to your tier of support. Thank you so much, Maya, for supporting me at this tier for as long as you have. You are simply amazing. Thank you so much. My second and brilliant Odenite Tea Titan is divided by zero, as lovely as they are witty. Mate, thank you so much for your support. I'm lucky to have people like yourself that send love my way to improve this show, and thanks to you, I get to experiment, for better or worse that is, with new tools. In particular, some key plugins for Audacity this month, which means cleaner audio, better de-reverb, which means removing echo and whatnot, and essentially improving the quality of this show overall. Not to mention, using some of that support to pay authors, which I'm currently working on setting up from a payment perspective. Thank you so much, Divided by Zero. Every dime of your support helps so many other people as well. Cheers. And thirdly, my epically unique Odinite T Titan Solstra. Thanks to your support, recently I've been able to pay off subscriptions for Photoshop and invest in better ways to edit my imagery. 
Now, I don't have to worry about which tool I use and the limitations they possess. Not to mention, I've lived and breathed Photoshop for years and using the latest version is a breath of fresh air rather than the old, 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 old versions that have major editing limitations, to say the least. Thank you so much, Selstra. And again, lastly, thank all three of you for supporting me at the level you do. You amaze me. And my white tea warlord, oh, the legend that is Leza Bauer. Mate, what can I say other than you rock. Thanks to your support, I've been able to implement a lifetime purchase of voice mod and use it for today's episode. And albeit I have a long way to go to learn its usage and properly apply it, I feel that I'll get there soon. I appreciate any feedback you might have and any advice regarding tone and clarity. That also goes for any of you lovelies out there listening. I value your feedback. Thank you, Leza, for being awesome, as always. And my old grain forces, the blood that pumps through this podcast's veins. I have Chad Warren, Just Heather, Paige Marcini, Peter Raffelli, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, and Tea Time Drinker One. Thank all of you for being superstars and supporting this podcast. And catch me Friday for part five of One Last Round, The Hanging Bell, the finale. As always, you lovely people. Till next, we meet.